everybody, and welcome back to the Kelly Green Hour. It is Super Bowl weekend where the Cincinnati Bengals are facing the Los Angeles Rams in Super Bowl 56 out in Los Angeles, California. It is the final game of the 2021-2022 NFL season, and then the fun starts. Free agency, draft, rumors, and we are going to dive into a bunch of that today here on the Kelly Green Hour. I'm your host, LJ Harrell. And joining me, as always, is my co-host, Connor Donald. Connor, what's up, man? Man, uh, not much. Living the life. Uh, my son started uh, daycare this week, so it's been a bit of a ride as far as that goes. But uh, otherwise, man, it, it, it's, I'm excited for the Super Bowl, man. Like, uh, I talk to people, and it's just the anticipation of something different. And, I mean, yeah, everybody, obviously... <laughs> Yeah, no Tom Brady, no Aaron Rodgers, no like Patrick Mahomes, none of those big names that we usually have become so accustomed to seeing. And I mean, I think it's going to be a good game. You have your the one that everybody hates, you know, besides Matthew Stafford, everybody wants the Rams to lose because, you know, Matt Stafford deserves it. He broke his back for the Detroit Lions. But then it's like, but the L.A. Rams are doing something we don't want to see, you know, that all in approach. So they, they've kind of made an enemy of themselves, you know, like the New York Yankees in baseball. And then you got the Cincinnati Bengals, homegrown, built pretty much from scratch through the draft, coming from the from two win seasons to be in the Super Bowl with Joe Burrow, who everybody has absolutely fallen in love with. So, I mean, the storylines are good. The storylines are fun. The game's going to be good, I think. So I, I'm really excited for it. Yeah, and we'll probably dive into this later, but you know, from an Eagle standpoint, if the Rams were to win it, going all in, not caring about draft picks, building the team through trades and, and whatnot. Yeah, obviously they drafted Aaron Donald, but that was a while ago. Um, you know, they drafted Cooper Cup, Van Jefferson, but they also added OBJ, Jalen Ramsey, Von Miller. Um, so, like, from an Eagle standpoint, if if, if the the Rams are able to win the Super Bowl, I, I don't care about three first-round picks. If, if we can go out and improve the team through trades. Like get get me a get me a quarterback that can throw the ball, you know. Get me get me a wide receiver, get me a linebacker, get me a, a receiver that has substance in the NFL now. Because obviously, like you can go and, and draft a Kobe Dean, draft a Devin Lloyd, um, draft a, a you know um, a, a Jamison Williams or whatever. But we don't know if they're going to come into the NFL and and be what these what some of these already stars in the NFL are. Like a Jalen, like back when Jalen Ramsey got traded to the, to the um to the Rams, I was all in on getting Jalen Ramsey because we know he's a star, we know he can play in the NFL. If the Eagles would have drafted whoever, whatever cornerback, you know, if they would have drafted a Patrick Sertan who who was a name coming out of college, you didn't know, you don't know if he's going to be a legit number one corner. We already know that Jalen Ramsey is a legit number one corner can shut down half the field. And that's why I wanted him. I'm I, and and I'm of the of the I, when you when you talk about the Rams, I love Jalen Ramsey, um, and like I would like the, them to win for him because of what he went through in, in Jacksonville and whatnot. But we'll get to, we'll get to Super Bowl predictions later. Uh, there's a lot of news going around the NFL, um, a lot of rumors which the Eagles are involved. But but we're gonna start with the coaching carousel. Um, was there nine coaching hires in the NFL? Uh, our old fr- our old coach Doug Peterson got got a job with the Jacksonville Jaguars. 
Um, there were a couple other, the, the, the Brian Flores story, which we will touch on a little bit was, uh, was that's a bad look for the NFL, but Brian Flores isn't wrong because there's one, you know, b- before, before the hires, before Lovey Smith got hired, um, you know, there was one black coach and that was Mike Tomlin. You, can, you can't, and, and I don't know how, I don't, I don't I'm going to just say this and I don't know. There's no way to walk around this. There's a double standard when it comes to coaches in the NFL. Jim Caldwell led the Lions to the playoffs. Had 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 a I think his last year when he was nine and seven got fired. But yet they kept Matt Patricia for what three years and he and he he was he was terrible. Uh, Brian Flores won eight of his last nine games with with the Miami Dolphins. He gets fired because he didn't lose on purpose. Well, I don't know if that's why he got fired. But like if if he was being offered money to tank. When, uh, two years ago, when it, when Joe Burrow was the number one overall pick, like that's a bad look on the NFL. And there is a double standard for coaches and even GMs when when it comes to a black coach versus a white coach. Black coaches get held to much higher standards if they have one bad year. It's oh he doesn't know what he's doing. He can't he can't lead a team. But if a white coach has a, a bad year, they let it go on. They let it go on. They let it go on. And and the NFL needs to fix that problem. I don't, you know, and it's something, and it's not just an NFL thing. I mean, it happens all, all over sports, it happens all over, all over life. But, you know, since we're, we're strictly talking about the NFL right now, they need to fix it. Yeah, dra- draft picks aren't enough. Um, so I don't know what the NFL is going ha- to do. If they, they claim that they're going to investigate this, but they need to figure out this whole, thing where you know eric the enemy should have been a coach by now and i get it the chiefs go have gone deeper deep into the playoffs the last you know handful of years so maybe he just didn't get the opportunity to to interview but he he should have an opportunity brian flores should have never gotten fired by the dolphins but should have an opportunity have an opportunity to be head coach leslie Flager, uh, frazier should have an opportunity to be a head coach there are a bunch of qualified coaches that are african-american that are not coaches for one reason or another, and the NFL needs to figure that out. Yeah, I agree. I think at this point, it's it's an all-talk thing. I mean, I've listened to a whole bunch of podcasts over the last couple of weeks talking about this situation, and at this point, it, it's just too much talk. And the idea, the prospect of these owners, the majority of the owners uh, minus one is is white, and and like Andrew Brandt says, you hire someone you most relate to. You hire someone who who you feel most comfortable with. And that just feels like the circumstance that's continuing to happen over and over again without changes at the top level. Like, I feel like there'll be a massive change of the guard as teams get moved to their sons. You know, like Jeffrey Laurie is already beginning to turn the wheels on getting his son more involved in the process. When a younger generation starts to come up, which is still, yes, predominantly white, obviously because most of the sons of these owners are are white. There's not many owners that, that are going to end up being, there's not many cha- franchises being sold. I mean, Denver's up for sale. There's lots of talk about that. They really want some minority candidates uh, to get involved, some minority owner groups to get involved in that process. Um, but 
as it gets passed down, I think it'll be that change of the generation. Because you can only, as Roger Goodell and as the NFL League office and as the NFLPA, you can only do so much to put the things in place to tell people, interview these people, give these people a chance Let's let's get more minorities involved in the game, whether it be whether it even be women, whether it be black, whether it be anything but but Caucasian. And it's just it's so it's such a shame that it's come to this measure and Roger Goodell's coming under fire. And to be honest, I don't think there's much Roger Goodell himself can do. They've done so much with the Rooney rule. They've put things in place. They're giving free compensation draft picks away to get you to hire and to get teams to develop minority candidates and the developments there. Like you named a bunch of names, Byron left, which Pep Hamilton's coming up through the mm-hmm. ranks you've named. There's so many more that can be named that are being developed, but that just aren't getting the opportunity. And I know that Goodell's under fire for it, but I think this needs to be on the owners themselves. And I know that Roger Goodell has his hands all over the owners and, you know, he he is a talking head for the owners. But this is on the owners and changing the way they think, changing their mentality and changing the way they build. And to be honest, I think there should be two other franchises going up for sale here very soon. The Washington Commanders. Very weird to say. The Washington Commanders (laughs) and the Dan Schneider situation is brutal. That's ugly. That's gross. That is a massive. No amount of money will make that type of thing disappear. That is that is decades of of just women. That's women in sports. That's decades of just making the NFL look so bad against women. That's a bad look when you want more uh, candidates of, of, of a minority in a position like that women are part of that group that they want more involved and then you look at the situation in um miami if that Mm -hmm. proves to be true that stephen ross did that the integrity of the game is on the line that is betting that is million the the betting industry is a multi hundred million dollar billion dollar industry that people invest money into imagine that some people could have been losing money on games like that and then the game that the league themselves, the players themselves, the it's there's so many things that come into question. There really should be three franchises up for sale before the end of this offseason, without a doubt. There is no way you can continue to allow this stuff to happen at, in the NFL and just pay it off and say, oh, we're good to go. And you keep moving on and you keep like to me. I think the integrity of the game is already majorly in question with what Stephen Ross did. And I think something really needs to be done there. And the Dan Schneider situation, he's his hands are still in the pot in Washington. It doesn't matter if they say, oh, the wife is the primary owner. We we know the truth about that. We know the reality of that situation. And we know more and more and more is going to start to come out. And that investigation that was not actually written out, that was all verbalized, is going to come to light and has to come to light. So to, to be honest, I think this is more on the owners and it needs to be a change at the ownership level and the mentality of the owners to give people a real chance. And it starts from them and it works down from there. From there, it'll leak down to the managers, to the player personnel. Look at Philadelphia. We just had Brandon Brown hired as a player personnel. Uh, play Our player personnel guy hired to the New York Giants as an assistant GM. He's a black man. We had um, 
can't remember her name right now, but she's part of the player personnel department. She interviewed for the Minnesota Vikings. Well, female. Was it Kate? Kate something, I think? Yeah, I can't remember. It. That's terrible that we can't remember. Yeah. But she interviewed for the GM role in Minnesota. Yeah, but she's as held we know, in regard around the league. Yeah. But as we know, it's it's starting to become this thing that everyone under Howie succeeds is super intelligent and does really well. Look at Too Joe bad Douglas. We can't keep them and get rid Andrew of Howie. Barry. I know. I agree. Too bad. Too bad. Howie can't be demoted to some sort of salary cap position and one of these people be promoted because look at Andrew Barry's success. Look at Joe yeah. Douglas's. Well. There's not success yet for Joe Douglas, but you can see the wheels are turning and things are moving in the right direction. And potentially, and potentially Andy Wydell could be up for the Pittsburgh Steelers GM job because mm-hmm. uh, he's from there. So yeah, and and if you talk about Roger Goodell, like he he's going to retire soon, and and the name that's talked about that could potentially replace him is Troy Vincent. So like the league could potentially be moving. Like Troy Vincent, we know he's a black he's a black guy, played for the Eagles played for the Dolphins, among other teams. And, like, he's actually from this, the, the, like, from the area which I live. Um, and, like, that would be – that's a good stepping stone. But you're right. It, it does start with the owners. Because um, you can't you can't continue – you can't sit there and say, okay, fine, we'll give you a compensatory first. So we make a 33rd and 34th pick for people who are higher minority candidates. You can't get to that point. I don't per, I don't personally believe you can get to that point. There needs to be you can't just change people's mentality by basically paying them off. That's what the picks are. It's it oh my god, the chance to get a thirty-third pick in the draft, like a chance to get an extension of the first round and the start of the second round. Of course you might you're gonna get teams higher and again, but that's not because maybe they necessarily believe in the candidate, but because they want the pick. It's like so you, it's like you're bribing teams to to do it and, and it should it shouldn't get to that point. Mm-hmm. It needs to get to a point where it's 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 it just happens like it, it it's something that 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 every off season you're not you're not there's not talk of will there be a black head coach it feels like the Houston Texans hired Lovey Smith because they felt quote unquote pressured to do it because of Brian Flores that seat. that has the makings of being exactly what. David Culley was this past year. I think it's going to be one year. I think they're going to try and bring Josh McCowan onto the staff. Well, that's what I thought would happen if if Gannon got hired. Gannon would be the coach. McCowan would be the the offensive coordinator. And then a year or two down the road when Gannon doesn't succeed there because that's that's an untainable situation. It's an unwinnable situation. Then they can hand over the reins to to McCowan. But they, they would have been looked at really badly if they would have hired Josh McCowan as the head coach. Some a guy mm-hmm. with no coaching experience in college or even coordinator experience whatsoever. Um, so it felt and they've like, loved him for two years. They yeah. they took him through the process last year. They're taking him through the process this year. They're just trying to find a way where they don't face scrutiny for bringing him in. But at this point, the development of so many other candidates, like Brian Dayball, finally getting a head coaching job, that was long in the making. Eric Bieniemy should be a coach. Byron Leftwich chose not, pretty much chose it himself not to be because he didn't want to work with the manager there, yeah, which is fine. Yeah. But like, there are so many other people that even if you get Josh McCowan in the door for a year, and then you say, okay, we're firing Lovey Smith or we're demoting Lovey Smith and we're promoting McCowan, it still just looks bad at this point. Because Brian Flores was the front runner for that job, and in the eleventh hour, you decided to throw in Lovey Smith because of the situation between Brian Flores and the NFL and the owners. And I mean, the only good thing about it, or I don't want to say good thing, but I mean, 
Lovey Smith has experience. He took the Bears Tons. to the Super Bowl. So, mm-hmm. like, it's not like he's somebody who's never been a coach um, and, and whatnot. So, I mean, maybe he was always a, back, a quote-unquote backup plan for them. Um, and maybe, like, they, they were already talking and it wasn't just – it looks like it was out of the blue to, to the outside world. But they were talking to him and being like, look, you're, you're, you're a candidate. We just want to see what we can find out there. And if, if we don't find what we like, you know, it, it could be your job. And maybe maybe that's what happened. Um, but but it still does feel like because of no, no other team, they were the last team to hire a coach. No, the Raiders didn't hire hire the Ra- Raiders hired hired McDaniel's uh, or Josh McDaniel's. You know, the, the Dolphins hired Mike McDaniel. Um, the Vikings are are gonna well, the Vikings' job is being will will be go to Kevin O'Connell, which he can't accept until until after the Super Bowl. Um, but like all the Brian Dable with the Giants, um, <clears throat> when you look at it, like they were pretty much the last one. And it's like, all right, well, somebody, well, well I get Mike McDaniel is biracial. Um, there's still like, it came down to the Texans and it was like, all right, somebody has to hire a black coach because if nobody hires one, then, then Flores really has a, uh, <laughs> excuse me, Flores really has something with his lawsuit, which I still think he does, especially if he has receipts from, you know, quote unquote receipts from, from um, Stephen Ross, Giving them a hundred thousand dollars to lose games, that that's an issue. Like we talked about it, like you you mentioned the gambling issue, like that's an integrity issue, and the NFL is going to be in a world of trouble. We don't know if if we're going to even see. We don't even know if this is if anything that happens in this case and in this lawsuit is going to get out into the public. But if it does, we it's going to be an issue, and there's going to be somebody's going to have a lot of explaining to do in regards to that yeah absolutely it's it's an appalling situation and the nfl has done an incredible job a very sneaky incredible job of of you know brushing a lot of things under the rugs rug over the years um they tried to do that with the daniel snyder thing by the way yeah they just continue to try to do it and eventually things start to come to light and especially when you have the government getting involved in stuff it's just a bad look and you're not above everybody else like you thought your money could pay for now and it's time to you know face some music and and address some of these situations head on yes these teams are worth billions of dollars Mm -hmm. and we get that how can we strip somebody of that behind the scenes you know if you strip dan schneider He's going to get some sort of X amount of royalties from everything till the day he dies. Let's face it. There will still be some sketchy hidden behind the scenes things where he's going to get like 10% of profits or something for the rest of his life until he dies that he can continue to pass on almost like a buying stocks of a team type that find stocks for a company type situation. So. <laughs> We're not denying that there's still going to be some going on in the background and he's still going to be making hundreds of million dollars off the commanders likely. But there is, you know, it's the prospect of getting him out of the public eye, getting that stain out of the league, getting his name off of the commanders altogether for the most part. And us just seeing new ownership, us seeing what owners wanted, uh, what people wanted last year, when all the min- when all the uh, minority owning groups backed out, dropped out, because they don't want to be involved with the name. It, it, it's just a bad look. So 
to me, like there's just situations that the NFL has to start facing head on and knowing money is money. At the end of the day, the Washington Commanders, if you strip it from Dan Schneider, guess what? The team's going to live. The team's going to continue to exist. And the team's probably going to gain have even better success because they they're a joke they're a laughing stock of the nfl right now their their stadium's a mess their owner's a mess their they their legal circumstances are a complete disaster so they're just a laughing stock of the league why would you want to continue to have that rolling on and then starting this month is the uh i believe is the depositions for the uh deshaun watson trial so you just have things continuing to pile up for the nfl and they just have to start facing some of these things head on instead of get putting a blank check on a table and saying how much to get you to stop i think we need to get past that and that's why i think that this is a really good thing by brian flores because at this point you know brian flores is not just going to take a blank check and say i'll sign it he'll rip that up right in front of the owners right in front of roger goodell right in front of any lawyer and he will say i'm seeing this through because the nfl needs to be exposed yeah, so willing, that's why i respect to, that situation yeah, he's with willing him. to risk the rest of his coaching career and 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 i'm all with him if it, if it leads to change and that's what it needs to do it needs to lead to change but this is a story that i think we will definitely be discussing down the road especially as it, it, more reports and whatnot come out uh, absolutely let's, but let's we should move to something more positive and how about <laughs> i want to know your opinion who had the best coaching hire let's try to swing some positivity into this coaching situation um, of the nine hires which one was your favorite a lot of them were meh to me like i'm glad eric like, i want eric the enemy to get a coaching job but i'm glad he didn't go to like say the saints because they're in such a terrible cap situation and have no quarterback that that, that would have been an unwinnable situation for him i think um, I'm going to go, I guess, Doug Peterson. But my only thing about that is he's in Jacksonville and it's tough to win in Jacksonville. Yeah. They had that one fluke year where they went to the AFC championship game with Doug Marone, but like Trent Balky's there. And I don't, I don't know if it's going to work. Um, we'll see how, how all that goes out. Like he's going to come back to Philly this year as the Jaguars, um, as the Eagles host the Jaguars. But right now, I, I guess it would have to be Doug Peterson. He, he, he kind of got unceremoniously fired what, last year um, a- after the, the 4-11-1 season with the Eagles. Probably should have been given another chance, um, but he didn't. Um, he was the first interviewee for the, for the Jaguars once they got rid of Urban Meyer. He waited, what, two, three months, was patient, and then got the call after, um, after Leftwich took his name out of the running. Um, so I'm going to go Doug Peterson. Can he win there is, is the big question. I don't know. We know that he's going to put a really good staff together. He's going to be really good for um, for Trevor Lawrence, I believe. Um, and we'll see. But I just don't know if that atmosphere, if just that franchise in itself, it's just, it's just a looser type of franchise. So it's going to be tough for him to win. But I think he has an opportunity uh, in that division. Like, I mean, you have the Colts who are, who are meh. Um, they're a good team. But. You know, they can't beat Jacksonville. Was it five or six straight years that they've lost in, in Jacksonville? Um, you have the Titans who have Ryan Tannehill at quarterback. He's a big question mark. And then you have the um, the Texans, and we know uh, what kind of hole they are down in Houston. So so we'll see. But I'm, I'm going to go with, right now, uh, Doug Peterson as my favorite coaching hire. 
That's a good one. I really like that one, too, especially for Trevor Lawrence. I think there was probably no other better person out there than Doug Peterson to get in the building. Um, I mean, Byron Leftwich would have been a great hire. And, and honestly, for the Jacksonville Jaguars to bring home Byron Leftwich would have been such a good look for them. And getting rid of that manager that all the teams despise. They dressed up as damn clowns because of the guy in that final game of the season. Um, so, I mean... That would have probably gained the respect of so many Jags fans to see that that manager out the door. Byron Leftwich and a new manager walked into the building and what Byron Leftwich might have been able to do with with uh, Trevor Lawrence. But unfortunately, that didn't happen. They stuck with this general manager and it's going to be Doug Peterson and Press Taylor, who we know he loved. He wanted to hire Press Taylor so badly as his offensive coordinator. That was Doug one did of his... say he's still calling plays, though. So. Yeah, which doesn't surprise. Obviously, we know that Doug Peterson had the hardest time giving up play calling in Philadelphia when things were going awry. So to to no surprise whatsoever that Peterson's going to call the plays. But I mean, obviously, we know Press Taylor was a driving force behind Doug Peterson be pretty much being shown the door because they wanted a plan for what Doug Peterson was going to do to turn this team around in a closed door meeting with uh, with Howie and and with Jeffrey Lurie. And one of his things that Lurie and Howie didn't like was that he wanted to hire, promote Press Taylor. And they wanted to go outside of the team to find an offensive coordinator and to fix this offense. So we'll see what happens in Jacksonville. But Peterson's a great coach for a Trevor from a Trevor Lawrence perspective. My favorite hire Mike McDaniel with the Dolphins. I, I really think like the Dolphins, they got Tua I, and they're committing to Tua. And I mean, to me, Tua is probably Jimmy Garoppolo-esque with, with a bit more ceiling to him at this point because there's he's younger. There's so much potential to offer there for Mike McDaniel to work with. Jalen Waddle that he re- can't wait to get started with and use as like in a Debo Samuel role. Um they have the most salary cap, if I'm not mistaken, in the NFL this offseason. The Miami Dolphins. They have some holes to fill. It's one of those. It could two. be, yeah. They're, I think they're one and two. But there's a lot of work to be. There's some holes to be filled. There's some some weaknesses to that team. Obviously, they don't have much of a run game. But as we've seen, Mike McDaniel is pretty much the other side of Kyle Shanahan's brain. He spent the last 11 years working with him. So you know that he can take a fifth round, sixth round, seventh round UDFA of running back and probably turn him into one of the best in the league easily with his zone running scheme. So and I think he's got good connections. He's got really good connections in the league. He's going to build a really nice coaching staff around him. And I think he's he, he's a really he's a young genius who's gotten so much praise from around the NFL um for for what he's done with Kyle Shanahan and and it'll be interesting to see what Kyle Shanahan is without that other side of his brain like Mike McDaniel and it'll be interesting to see what Mike McDaniel can do away from Kyle Shanahan um it's just another branch of a coaching tree that people are really intrigued to see what people can do kind of like the Sean McVay tree and and the Bill Belichick tree and stuff did so you see, did you see that coach the 2013 Washington coaching staff that had McVay LaFleur Mm. Um, Shanahan, right? Shanahan, and I think McDaniel. Like, yeah, yeah, because McDaniel's <laughs> followed Shanahan they for eleven like years, four and twelve or something that year. And the, uh, but um, if you think about it, if you look at the coaching hires, I think eight of the nine were offensive, or no, seven of the nine were offensive coaches, pretty much. Lovey Smith uh, in Houston being a defensive guy, and Matt Eberflus with Chicago. And if you think about it, I think teams 
are smart to hire offensive-minded head coaches, which stinks for those defensive guys, but only because if, if an offense, if, if you're a, a defensive-minded head coach and you hire an offensive coordinator and you're like, it's your offense, you do whatever you want to do with the offense, I'm not going to, you know, unless I really, really have to, I'm not going to step in. But if you have an offensive coordinator who does a really good job with a young, so if Matt, whoever Matt Eberflus's Ever offensive coordinator is, which came from Green Bay, uh, whatever his name is, if he does a great job with Justin Fields and gets that offense to move the ball and, and they put up points, guess what? He's gonna be a he's gonna be a head coaching candidate next year, and then you're gonna have then if he get, if he gets hired elsewhere, you're gonna have to bring somebody else in, and that's gonna be another type of offense that your young quarterback is gonna have to learn. Um, so it doesn't shock me that most of the coaching hires were offensive coaches. You know, and I don't foresee like if the Eagles were to ever or the next time the Eagles look up for for another head coach, like I don't see. I think Ray Rhodes is going to be the last defensive guy that the Eagles hire under under Lori um, as a head coach. You know, Andy Reid was offense, Chip Kelly was offense, uh, Doug Peterson was offense, and now uh, Nick Sirianni is offense. Like it's it's an offensive league that the rules are geared towards the offense moving the football. So. I'm shocked. It wouldn't shock me if less and less defensive guys got head coaching roles going uh, in the future in the NFL. Absolutely. I mean, you see it though. Like, also Dennis Allen of the Saints, defensive mind. Obviously, he was elevated after Sean Payton left as well. But to me, like, you you're harder pressed as a defensive guy to to have the same circle of people you know to to build around to have a really good offense when you come in as a defensive mind you know the defensive people you're close with the defensive people when you're an offensive guy and you have the offensive mind you know the offensive guys you've talked to some quarterbacks coaches you've worked with other offensive coordinators passing game coordinators run game coordinators you know offensive line coaches you build these connections and that's why i think that offensive coaches succeed so much they have the connections that they're able to bring certain people from certain teams kind of similar to uh, what we had this past season with our coaching staff. When Sirianni got hired, he went and he picked out some really good offensive minds. You know, he went out, he got Brian Johnson, he got out uh, Steichen, he got all these names. He kept Jeff Stoutland in the building. Like the Chargers were already, happy to get rid of Steichen, though. <laughs> They they definitely were. They definitely were. But like these are experienced and in good offensive minds who have had success. And I think that's the biggest reason that offensive minds work better than defensive minds, because they have the connections to surround themselves with the right people to make an offense really click and to really work. Whereas a defensive mind, they're, they're stuck in a the defense they're stuck on the wrong side of the football because it's an offensive game. When you watch a Super Bowl, no one's cheering. We saw it a couple years back with that Rams and uh, Patriots Super Bowl. Nobody's cheering for a boring-ass 20 points total between two teams Super Bowl or game on any given week. We want to see 30 points, 40 points, 50 points. We want to see offenses working. We want that 41-33 Super Bowl 52. Exactly, exactly. That's exactly what everybody wants. So at the end of the day, that it, you're on the wrong side of the football when you're the defense. The defensive coordinator, and I don't envy the job that those guys have to do because they have an incredibly difficult job to do, um, and and to scheme towards stopping these offenses. So 
I think that's the biggest reason that offense is working more. Just the connections that they can build and the names that they can bring from. And they they watch all these this tape and all these other games and they're like, I like the way this guy works. I like the way this offensive coordinator works things on this team that I don't even work for. But I just see it on tape. I love this. So they know the things to look for and they know the people that they want to bring in. And that's what leads to the greatest success, I think. And and I wouldn't be surprised if less and less defensive minds come in. Yeah, and it is a copycat lead. So, so like if if a play works, again, like we'll go, I'll go back to that Super Bowl. Like the 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 Philly special was based off of the the play the Patriots ran earlier in the game and had run against the Eagles back when Chip Kelly was the was the coach. So it's a copycat league. If if plays work, if systems work, other teams are going to look to implement uh, with their own you know version of it uh, into their offensive game plan. Definitely, I agree with that. Um. But enough about the coaches, because obviously we are the Kelly Green Hour. So I think it's time to dive into the state of the Philadelphia Eagles offense for this season. Um, well, before, this, before, before we do that, I do want, I do want your fire John, Jonathan Gannon's back. There's two things I want to bring up. First, Jonathan Gannon. Oh, yes. How could I forget about Jonathan Gannon? He's back. Um, before I give my opinion, what are, what are your thoughts on it? So as the primary uh, opinion on the Kelly Green Hour Twitter page, um, I do want to point out that my opinion is has always been the personnel just weren't there. This it is frustrating. He doesn't change his scheme. He he doesn't he doesn't do anything different. He doesn't disguise much. You see it periodically, but you don't see it a lot. The pressure thing, you know what? I'm kind of used to it. Schwartz didn't bring pressure. Gannon's not bringing pressure. There's a lot of off- defensive coordinators who just decide not to opt not to bring pressure because they would prefer to have more bodies in the se- at the second and the third level to help with the passing game. I get it. It's fine. Whatever. You want to rely on the front four. The front four, we lost Brandon Graham. Then Derek Barnett was a bust. Josh Schwett struggled to get his feet under him, but was starting to pick things up at the end of the season. Javon Hergrave started the season off great, slowed down, tapered off a bit. Fletcher Cox had an up and down season. Milton Williams started to really show himself. The front four was just kind of a scattered brain mess. And then when you look at the rest of it, his cover two scheme relies on Two safeties up high, each covering 50% of the field. We had no safety who I would trust to even cover 25% of a football field. So unfortunately, he had nothing there for the safeties. The linebackers, we know that. They were finally starting to turn to Davion Taylor. He got injured, um, of course, and we lost him for the rest of the season. So we didn't get to fully see it out. But we know TJ Edwards was the only thing working uh, at the linebacker position. And then our cornerbacks did an incredible job. They did all they could. So everything's there except the two biggest parts of the cover. Well, three biggest parts of the cover, two: Front four pressure, linebackers, safeties that can each cover half a field. So the personnel just wasn't there. So I get the hate for Jonathan Gannon. But when you watch the games and you really dive into it and try and understand the player personnel and what he's trying to do with the players he has, it's important to note the player personnel was really bad and really inconsistent we can beg him to change and there was points where he would adjust his game plan and he became cover one and that was some of the best 
defensive performances by our team was when he shifted to cover one and he only had one safety watching over all of the back of the field. That was some of the best defense we saw out of Jonathan Gannon. But to me, at the end of the day, if the personnel aren't there, I don't think it was going to matter what scheme you used. We don't have the greatest pressure linebackers. We have some good downhill guys, but watch Alex Singleton on all 22 tape once in a while. That man will run into every blocker and every body on the way to the quarterback that by the time he got to the quarterback, they, they, the touchdown would already have happened on the other side of the field. You don't need to watch the all 22 to see that. Exactly. You don't even need, you don't need, just watch highlights from games and you see Alex Singleton. Like we didn't have it we don't have the pieces for any scheme so he was working with a subpar player personnel with a scheme that requires very specific personnel so i think rightfully so he deserves a second chance he's got he's got so much respect within the nfl there's so many teams who respect him he got multiple interviews he was pulled through the most of the majority of the process in houston and he's going to get more interviews next year and years beyond He's very well-regarded and very well-respected as a young defensive mind. And I think if we get the right personnel in place, people will be completely forgetting about the hate and the shade that they were throwing at Gannon last season. <laughs> I don't think so. I'm Look, I get the consistency. I get that, that the personnel really wasn't there, but I, I, I need another voice in the room. I, I like the, the, Vic Vangio would have been perfect. I would have loved Vic, Vic Fangio to come in and, and take over this defense. Um, <clears throat> I, I just don't like, like you, like you said, Gannon's schemes. I don't like that the corners play 10 yards off most majority of the time. It can be third and five. Let's play 10 yards off. Like, that's an easy hitch, easy slant. Um, I don't like that. It, it feels like it's death by a thousand cuts because he doesn't want to get beat, beat deep, which I can appreciate, I guess. But when you're still allowing points, because teams are get nickel and diming their way down the field, you got to change it up. Sometimes I'd much rather get beat by the long play if, if you're going to bring pressure, like just so teams are aware that, look, you're going to bring pressure. And if you get beat by a long play every once in a while, it happens. Um, but but when, you, when you allow third down conversion after third down conversion and giving up, they were on a historic rate the first half of the year, giving up over, over 75% completion percentage to quarterbacks. And yeah, I know it was Tom Brady and, and Patrick Mahomes and Justin Herbert, but like, come on, it, it you're not if you're not gonna blitz, do something different. And and he just wouldn't do it, and it was frustrating to watch. And it, even if they if they improve the the personnel this year, if they draft you know a Sauce Gardner, if they draft a Nakobe Dean, if they draft a David Ajabo, if they bring in some free agents um, that 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 are going to automatically be starters and and can help this team. And he doesn't change his scheme. I don't want to hear shit about personnel. It's him, and, and that's that's what's. Gonna I will be admit key. that. I will admit that too. But not in week one or week two. Like, obviously, you got these guys adjusting to the scheme. But say we continue through the season, we're sitting in week eight, we're sitting in week nine, the cover two approach is not working, we're still getting beat under for for points all the time. Yardage doesn't matter to me. But if we're constantly backed against, with our backs against the end zone and we're giving up a field goal or we're giving up touchdowns because he got, you know, out row here, hitch row here, slant row here, and it was five yards here, six yards, eight yards, nine yards, and then we're back against the end zone. Yes, I, I will then admit it's not a personnel thing. It's definitely a scheme, and it's definitely something he's got to work on changing that scheme. But 
I think the personnel need to be there before the complete hate and disgruntled feelings for Gannon get to the point where they've gotten. It, it just feels out of control, the hate for the guy, when I don't think there was any defensive coordinator you were bringing in there who was going to be able to put a perfect scheme into place and and do a whole lot more with what was... I don't know. It got to the point disposal. where I wanted... It got to the point where I wanted Jim Schwartz back. <laughs> That's how bad it was. Which they work very similarly. So the fact that we were looking for Jim Schwartz there, some were looking for Jim Schwartz, uh, it, it, it's it's bad. It's bad because the I mean, approaches are still, very similar. And there's still defensive minds out there. You know, Vic Fangio, Mike Zimmer, mm-hmm. Brian Flores, I think, is a defensive guy. Like, So there are still defensive guys that if, if they're willing, if they're not going to get a head coaching job, and and they want to and they want to coach. Potentially, you can get them to come in to be a be like um, assistant head coach or or be be a sounding board for that. And I would and if if you can convince one of these guys to come in for a year, I would do it in a heartbeat because coach. Look, you don't coaches. There's no salary cap for coaches, so Jeffrey Lloyd mm-hmm. can pay what he wants to pay. I'm, I'm pretty sure that Nick Sirianni's not getting paid anything um substantial mm-hmm. so you could bring in a, a mike zimmer or bring in a vic fangio j- just to, to to you know to be a consultant type of thing for for a year i would do it and then if if gannon Agreed. and if gannon gets a head coaching job next year you you slide wh- whoever it is right into the defensive coordinator spot yeah but, it's always good to have those uh those advisors because i mean look at jim bob cooter he got he got taken away from us to go to Jacksonville and he's moving into a position over there. So it doesn't hurt to have those minds in the building because you might be able to leverage them or they might go and get hired somewhere else. But at the end of the day, having more minds in the room to help doesn't necessarily hurt, especially for a young defensive mind like Jonathan Gannon. It could only serve to help up his game as a coordinator and put him in an even better spot to become a head coach someday, I think. All right, so before we get to the state of the offense, this kind of actually will will transition right into that. But the the rumors that are heating up um, about Russell Wilson, Albert Breer put out that you know he said the Saints would have been a perfect spot if Sean Payton was there. But since Sean Payton is no longer the coach, he said the Philadelphia Eagles. The big question: Does Howie Roseman pull the trigger on a on a Russell Wilson trade? I did post on Twitter breaking down kind of the salary cap circumstance. There is a path that I see us getting to 35 easy. Mm-hmm. And I can see paths to 40, 45, 50 million. But, and this is a major but, there are some contracts you want to come off the books at the end of the contract. And this is what Howie is notorious for. If you're okay with continuing to kick the can down the road and build up 10 million in this year, 10 million in this year, 15 here, 20 here, you're going to eventually get to that point where all that money is due. Yes, the salary cap doesn't exist in the present year, but eventually it comes due because you're turning base salaries into guaranteed money. That is what his restart is his favorite form of restructuring. 
So realistically, there is a way to get to 35. There is a way to get to 40. But if you go beyond 40, then I'm seriously concerned for the future of the salary cap circumstance, especially with some of these guys who are in their 30s and aging and already have substantial hits on their cap coming in future years. Um, If you made the deal for Russell Wilson, you would put us in a negative cap situation and at most, if you got to $40 million, you would free up a grand total of $17 million total to spend on all other needs. Plus, you're giving up. I No way you give up less than two firsts. Two firsts guaranteed at the minimum. But we all know, of course, it's going to be a super aggressive market. And it wouldn't surprise me if it got to that extent where you're forced to put out three firsts, even if it's a 2023 first. I don't think it's a good deal. I don't think it makes sense. Um, he's what he's 30 something years old, 32, 33. The only one I would go for that I think helps the Eagles for the future would be Deshaun Watson. And the only way that happens is if everything is cleared, everything is cleared. There's no sign of it coming back up to the surface. I would go for Deshaun Watson of all the quarterbacks. And earlier in this earlier in the, if you've been listening to the color green hour all year, I was Russ or bust. Up until this point. And now that I see the salary cap breakdown and the situation we're staring down, I don't think Russell Wilson brings a team with a lack of weapons a super. Yeah, unless he's bringing DK look at, and look Tyler at the Lockett Seattle Seahawks. <laughs> look at the Seattle Seahawks. Tyler Lockett, DK Metcalf, <clears throat> Gerald Everett, not a good, not a stunning tight end oh, by Dallas any means, Goddard's but a viable tight end. Goddard's but, better than him. So. Yeah, but Goddard's better, but. There's no way you're going to sit there and tell me Devontae Smith is probably on par with Lockett at this point, but he is not better than DK Metcalf I didn't or Lockett say that. I'm substantially. Just, I'm, I'm just talking about tight end. Exactly, but like I'm trying to. Line, the Eagles offensive line is way better than the Seattle. Any, definitely. Any offensive line that Seattle has But, has but had, then so. you put yourself in the situation that you can't address the defensive side of the ball or you can very seldom address. Ready? I'm going to tell you how. The salary cap is a myth. Look at the Los Angeles Rams. Stop. They, but the money the, the comes cap, due. Salary cap is a myth. The salary cap is a myth. You can do whatever the hell you want to do. But if, the money if, if comes Howie, due if eventually. Howie wants, if Howie wants to do it, he can make the trade and still put, still sign players to help the defense because the salary cap is the myth. Again, the Los Angeles Rams have Jalen Ramsey, Von Miller, Aaron, um, Aaron Donald, Leonard Floyd, but look Matt at Stafford, uh, but Cooper first of all, you got to like they they they're not paying. But we need to remember, we dying. need to remember what people need to remember about these circumstances. How much of that contract of Von Miller's was eaten by Denver? Over 50 percent. That is why they got the return they got, because well over 50 percent of that contract was eaten by Denver. OBJ passed through waivers, was not acquired because it was a substantial amount of money on that contract. Okay, he ready? got into Jalen free Ramsey's agency highest, and he was pretty Jalen much free. Jalen Ramsey's the highest paid corner in football. Aaron Donald, probably the highest paid defensive tackle in football. Matthew Stafford, probably top five ish, maybe highest paid quarterbacks. The salary cap is a myth. If he wants to do it, he can make it happen. And my and and th- that that's what I got to say about that. Like I don't well, care about the salary cap because I, you can do whatever the hell you want to do and it, it'll work. It's it'll work itself out. 
It'll be interesting to see because the Rams are $8 million over the cap with a massive number of key names to re-sign. So we'll see about this true myth of the salary cap. But it all comes due. That's the thing. It all comes due eventually. That's why, look at Jason Kelsey. Whether Kelsey decides to come back or not, he's getting paid $10 million by the Philadelphia Eagles, and it's dead cap. Listen to all the people who constantly make a scene about the dead cap. If you're going to constantly make a scene about us being the highest in dead cap, this is how Howie works. This is how you make the salary cap a myth. Because you build these contracts in a way that when their contracts come due, a bunch of money accelerates forward. And we owe that money. And that is why we are constantly at the top for dead money. And we are constantly, we are always going to be at the top for dead money. So if you believe... They're also not going to owe one player or have one player count 30... What was it, 32 million, 35 million? No, but we still are, as of this very moment, we're the second highest, right behind the Houston Texans, because they've eaten a massive number of contracts now, too. So, like, at the end of the day, no, you're not going to have one guy cost 30 million with the total being what was it, like 50 million in dead cap? But we are already bordering on 30 million dollars dead money for next year. So, yeah, take away the $33 million you owe to one player, but our dead cap situation is still really bad. Unless and there's another unless there's another pandemic that doesn't that doesn't allow the salary cap to go up, the salary mm-hmm. cap's going to continue to go up in the NFL. So, I, again, that's why, like, the way how he handles, as much as we, I hate him as the football guy, the, the, the guy that's picking the players, if we can move him just to be the business guy, the salary cap guy, and we bring in a football mind, like uh, he can handle and, and finagle and do whatever the heck he needs to do with the salary cap to allow us to, 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 to afford players. Mm-hmm. Look, yeah, you may have to pay it forward down the line, but the salary cap's going to keep going up to where like it's, it's going to be pennies to, 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 to Jeffrey Lurie and it won't affect the team team in the long run. But to answer the, the, the question at hand, I think how he does make the trade. I I've always been a Deshaun Watson guy, as you know, I would love it to be mm-hmm. Deshaun Watson. He's younger, I, I, and I think he has he has a higher ceiling. But how how he's gonna want to atone for missing out on him back in twenty was it twenty eleven twenty twelve whatever the, the draft was when they wanted to get him but had, and but ended up drafting Nick Foles because Seattle got him. I, I do think he's gonna potentially make the probably make the trade only to improve the quarterback position because I don't know if. Jalen Hurts is going to be able to be the guy that they need to to to, to be able to because you can't win running the football. You just can't do that. You can't be a, a primarily running football team and win a, win a Super Bowl. You have to be able to throw the ball, and the Eagles can't do that right now, which transitions us into the state of the offense for the Philadelphia mm-hmm. Eagles. Yeah, um, I, I definitely. <laughs> yeah, well, we'll start at the. We, I mean, I think we've really addressed the quarterback position. And if you check in on prior weeks, I think we spend about 10 to 15 minutes an episode talking about Jalen Hurts. So we won't continue further there. Let's move into the running back position. Um, we have two running backs under contract for next year, as of right, three under contract next year as of right now. That's Miles Sanders, that's Kenneth Gainwell, and that's Jason Huntley. Obviously, Miles Sanders and Kenneth Gainwells are the lock. Um, I don't think they bring Jordan Howard back. I don't think they bring Boston Scott back. Um, I want to know, what what's your confidence level in the running back position, and do you think it's a major need? And when it I is- say major need... 
is there a need to substantially invest through a draft, through draft capital or salary cap? Um, they do need. There is a substantial need at running back. Uh, Miles Sanders has injury issues. I don't. Kenny Gainwell is good at catching the ball at the backfield. Mm-hmm. I don't know about really being the primary ball car- carrier. So if something happens to Miles Sanders, you need to have a legit backup. Um, so it wouldn't shock me if day two the Eagles took a running back, whether that might be like a Brian Robinson type. Um, I, I, I haven't had a chance to look deep, deep, deep into it. And being an Alabama fan, I know Brian Robinson is, is you know, re- a really good pass blocker, can catch the ball out the backfield, can run in between the tackles. So that's why I kind of bring his name up. But, um, yeah, they're, they're going to have to invest in, in a running back, whether it's draft or free agency. Probably a second day, second, second or third round uh, draft choice, depending on what they do in the first round, depending on if they trade picks for a Russell Wilson. Um, so that, but they do need to make a move because you can't, again, Miles Sanders has had a bunch of injury issues. This is the year that they have to figure out if they want to give them that, uh, give them another contract. I think this is year, what, three or year four. Yeah. Yeah. So they're going to have to figure out if they want to, they're going to have to figure out if they want to pay them. Um, Kenny Gainwell, again, I don't know if he could be the primary ball carrier, you know, 15, 20 carries a game out of backfield, catching the ball. Great. And also, I don't think he's a great pass blocker just yet. Um, So, yes, they do need to invest in the running back position. They definitely do. I don't think it has to be substantial. (laughs) Like, I don't think the need is a screaming need. Like, you can probably wait till early day three, maybe the later end of day two, if we're looking draft pick-wise. Definitely don't go through free agency. We're learning the value of a running back. The value of a running back is getting them dirt cheap through the draft and then running them till the tires fall off. Let's just face it. That's a trend in direction, especially with a 17 game schedule. Now that's the trend in direction of running backs. Um, I looked, I looked at a guy like Damian Pierce out of Florida. Um, he would be a really good guy. I think they just need, they all are very specific. They have specific roles. Um, I wouldn't hate Huntley being back as a returner and as a only need on a need basis because of injury running back. But as a returner, he's a great returner. Ten times Jalen Reger, ten times Boston Scott or anybody else who's going to return footballs. So I would bring Huntley back if only to serve that that role of urgent injury need slash special teamer. And he's dirt cheap. Um, but for me, it's getting a thunder to the lightning that Kenneth Gainwell and Miles Sanders are. A Damian Pierce, Brian Robinson makes sense. A bigger back, maybe a Jerome Ford out of Cincinnati. Just someone who can really foot a load that takes, you know, foot like six to ten carries a game and the hard working carries. Where not you don't have to have Miles Sanders going into that situation where he needs to get one or two yards. You have this guy who will go out there and when he needs one or two, he'll go and grab you three or four or five, so on and so forth. Um but yeah, I don't think it's a dire need right now, but it's definitely a need that needs to be addressed to get that thunder, that Jordan Howard type that has helped the run game be so effective in the past prior, the past couple of seasons here in Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. On to a major need, and I don't think anybody's arguing this one, the wide receiver position. We presently have six under contract for next season. That's Devontae Smith, that's Jalen Reger, that's J.J. Ortega-Whitesog, Wes Watkins. And then two practice squatters in Deion Kane and John Hightower. So really, we have four on uh, four on roster for sure, and two that fans want on roster: Devonta Smith and Quez Hawkins. So, yes. Yeah, so Devonta Smith and Quez are locks. 
I get rid of Rager, I get rid of Ortega Whiteside, and you have to they need to sign a vet receiver and probably draft one. I wouldn't draft in the first round. Um, but you know, if you can get a I, I don't I don't know if he's gonna be a first rounder, but like a Jahan Dotson from Penn State. I hate Penn mm. State, but still, if you can get him second round, good. I don't I don't wanna take a first rounder like or John Mechie in the second round. Um I would love Jameson Williams, but coming off the ACL scares me. Um, there's all the talk of, uh, what Drake London from USC. I don't know if I want to take a pack 12 receiver again. I don't know. Uh, yeah. I don't know if I'm there. I, he, he's but, better than JJ Ortega Whiteside, but it's too in the mold. Yeah. I, I'm afraid of that mold. But I, I, JJ do, burnt me. Yeah. So it's definitely Devonte. It's definitely Quez have to sign a vet receiver, get rid of, um, Ortega Whiteside and, and Rager, and then figure it out, figure it out from there. Agreed. So that's what, I that's completely what agree that. I think free agency for sure. I mean, when you look, it, say they keep Smith, Reger, Ortega, Whiteside, and Watkins, you have a 24-year-old, 23-year-old, 25-year-old, 24-year-old. You guaranteed have to go to the free agent well on this one. You mm-hmm. got to go out and you got to get some experience. You got to get a guy who can help these guys. Um and and mold them into into better players or even just be supportive as a as a as a name in the room as a voice in the room um but yeah i i agree you know what i think jalen reger needs to be packaged into a deal he needs a change of scenery he needs to go him and his three million dollar cap hit needs to go second somewhere. round pick i don't i don't know if they would take it but i would do a second round pick and reger maybe a second and a, and a late round pick and reger for calvin ridley I would 100% do that deal. You know what? I've even like I would even consider, you know, if if Dillard has to go, like Dillard, but like how he needs to figure out a way like if we're going to get Ridley, which I would be game for as long as he's open and as long as he says I'm coming back to play football, I'd 100% before that, but it, Rager needs to be involved. He has to say, listen, we'll get this guy off your hand cuz he clearly doesn't want to be in Atlanta. I don't think he wants to play with you guys, but you got to do us a favor. We need to dump one scenery, of these yep. two guys for a change of scenery. Rager or Ortega Whiteside. Obviously, Rager would be the one that probably intrigues offenses the most because of the prototype and the type of player he is. But, I mean, he needs a change of scenery. It's it's unfortunate, but he needs to be out of Philadelphia. It's just not working. And the cap, to me, it only works if you can dump the cap hit by not eating more dead money. So he's mm-hmm. got to be involved in a trade as a throw-in piece and get him out of the picture. But no, I don't think that Howie goes back to the first round well at wide receiver. But yes, I do think he drafts at least one wide receiver and he signs at least one wide receiver. I think there will be at least three new faces in this wide receiver room next season um, with Devontae Smith be a and Quest Watkins. Starting bet, like an Allen Robinson, DJ Shark. I will love Mike Williams, but I don't think it's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, Devontae mm-hmm. Adams, obviously, but he wants $30 million and he's going to get franchised probably by Green Bay. So that's not going to happen. So they... They definitely need to improve, get a vet, somebody that can start opposite of, of Devonta. Definitely, definitely agree with you there. Tight end position, obviously, uh, we got five under contract. Obviously, no, no guarantees on uh, the majority of these names. We got Dallas Goddard, Richard Rogers, who has a permanent locker in Philadelphia. <laughs> Noah Toje, Tyree Jackson, Jack Stoll. Um, the tight end two is a need. Yes, it is. It, it, there's no doubt. Richard Rodgers, you can have your permanent locker. You can show up as a practice squatter every single day because you can step in when we need you when injuries happen. But you ain't a tight end, too. 
No Toje, no. Tyree Jackson, he's going to miss another offseason. Lots of crucial development opportunity. I don't know what they're going to do there. They're obviously going to keep him. It's a Jordan Mailata-esque situation. They knew this was a project with Tyree Jackson. He's just not ready, and it sucks that he continues to miss very crucial time. And Jack Stoll is boring. He's bland. I don't love him as a pass catcher. He's okay as a blocker. But none of these guys scream any type of support for Dallas Goddard. Um, this tight end class, I've spoken, I've t- talked about it before, especially from a fantasy perspective. But it's deep, but it's not like amazing. They all play very specific roles and can do really good things. There's not many all around guys, but I mean, like guys like you know Jake Ferguson. I I wouldn't mind. He's one of my favorite targets. He can do it all at a at an average to above average level and could be really supportive with Dallas Goddard. Um, but yeah, tight end two is definitely a need. I don't think it. I don't think free agency addresses it. I think you just go through the draft. You find your favorite guy who can do everything at at least an average or better level. Yeah, I agree with everything you just said about the tight end. So I don't think there's nothing that needs to expound on that. It's not a very sexy position. We got the future of the tight end position. And now it's just a matter of of figuring out what to put behind him. Mm -hmm. Offensive line. Um, So when it comes to the offensive line, it all depends on Jason Kelsey, which the reports are, I think the the reports are that he's considering the comeback for one more year, which I think is huge. Um, Because if he doesn't come back, you have two two spots to fill center and right guard. If he comes back, you just have right guard. Um, and you could – well, so if they keep all three first-round picks and he drops to 15-16, like you could draft a Linderbaum to learn under Kelsey and potentially play right guard. Um, because I don't I – would, I would not move Dickerson from, from left guard to center. He was so good as the left guard, and him and Maialata have such a, a good – connection on that left side of the line i wouldn't screw that up there's Um, so much talk about that being the move but like man you have your left side locked down for minimum four more years mm -hmm. why would you make that move if you could address it in some other way like there was also uh one mock draft i saw kenyon green guard out of uh texas a&m to 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 take the right guard or to take the left guard spot and push dickerson in but i just don't see any reason to take away what was probably the most functional portion of the offensive line mm-hmm. yes i i wouldn't move him i would leave him there um and if depend the one thing how he is good at drafting is lineman late in the draft and i think that has a lot to do with jeff stoutland like mm-hmm. he's a key he, if he's back like whoever you draft is going to get molded by, by Stoutland and, and can be put in there. But if you think about it, the Eagles offensive line has a lot of depth. Nate Herbig, Jack Driscoll, uh, LaVarie. Nate Clark. Herbig is an RFA, but I, as I said in my piece a few weeks back, I would a hundred percent RFA him. $2 million uh, is nothing for Nate Herbig. Yeah. And then like, they like LaRaven Clark, um, have Andre. Jack Dillard. Anderson looked Jack like Anderson, a dude. Like, they have a lot of depth on the offensive line. Like the Eagles start, the Eagles backup offensive line might be better than the Cincinnati Bengals starting offensive line. Like that, there's a very realistic possibility. <laughs> and I also think Andre Dillard's out of the picture. I think he gets dealt this season or this yeah. off season, which rightfully so. There's the need at left tackle around the NFL is so huge mm-hmm. right now that like you take full advantage. You're not going to get a first for him. 
But if no. you can get a second or a piece or something like any type of leverage like that, you move him. You can't just have a guy with the first round pedigree of Andre Dillard be buried behind my lot and never see the light of day till free agency. You take advantage of a need for many teams and you shop that guy and you get rid of him. There's yeah, no so, way I wouldn't. Yeah. And I just think obviously we, we haven't heard word yet, but it all comes down to Jason Kelsey. Like I said, it's so, a major, and I mean, whatever. We, Next season we have Isaac Samalu back, but like, forgot, where, yeah, where do you put too. him? Like, you he could, could put right him. Guard. He could play right. I think Jack Driscoll should be the right guard, but the injury concerns there are. You have to be prepared with a backup right guard with Jack Driscoll, because yeah, I feel and, like injury issues may just be a thing for him. I just think, and I also think again, if the if 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 the Eagles keep all three first round picks, or at least two of the three, if if Linderbaum falls to to 15 16 they, they'll use it you know the eagles like to build inside out so uh, offensive line defensive line like even if linderbaum has to sit behind kelsey for a year he gets to learn behind a hall of fame center with a hall of fame offensive line coach and potentially i mean if he could play guard you know for the year potentially and they need him you just throw him in there because we did see when when kelsey had to go out for a couple plays and the backup center came in. There were some bad snaps, and it didn't look good. Um, so it doesn't help. It doesn't hurt to have that that backup guy that you can trust, and and you won't have to go look for him next year if Kelsey were to retire. Yeah, I think the Kelsey situation has reached a point to me where you gotta stop putting it. Just because he comes back doesn't mean you continue to put it off. I think we've reached an impasse where yes, he's he could come back. But you need to address it. If you have to spend a first and you get a guy like Tyler Linderbaum, you you do it. You have to do it. We've reached that impasse. We can't continue to kick it down the road because eventually he's got to go. And I do he think Linderbaum might go top 10 now. Top 12. At, I do at I do have a feeling, especially if with the Jets with two firsts, the Giants with two firsts, like that's a good way to solidify that middle of your offensive line. So mm-hmm. And like a really good center can make your guards – Really Better. good as well. Like so, just the prospect of getting somebody there that makes your guards a little more expendable, it, it would be a major plus for for teams that need offensive line help. Mm-hmm. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what happens. But yeah, the offensive line. If Jason Kelsey comes back and says I retired, so much changes. That game mm-hmm. changes. Big it goes time. from being the strength of the team right now to. I mean, it still actually might be the strength of the team, even if he were to retire. But still, like we know right now with with Kelsey that the, the Eagles offensive line is is the strength of the team. Um, and they are getting a little older. Like Lane Johnson's over 30 now. Kelsey's obviously in his last couple of years. So, yeah, they have Maialata and Dickerson who are young on the left side. But still, it doesn't hurt to get depth. Absolutely, man. I completely agree. But uh, that that'll wrap up basically what we're looking at from the state of the off uh, state of the offense. There's some needs, but next week, if, it, if when we dive into the state of the defense, who oh boy, uh, we, 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 finish, are, we better make sure there's lots of time to talk there because there are lots of needs. Before we finish, though, let's let's get of our quick uh, Super Bowl predictions. Yeah, absolutely, man. I, listen, I think the LA Rams are going to get it. I would love to see the Bengals do it. I think that's the way to say don't do the all-in approach. There's ways to build things in-house with a good mix of in-house and free agency. It would be nice because then you might see more teams do the LA Rams approach as well. 
if the LA Rams win, which I don't really want to see, but whatever, at the end of the day, the LA Rams are going to hit a wall eventually because they have nothing to build for the future and they have no depth behind what they already have out there. Um, but I think the LA Rams get it, man. I, I want to see Matt Stafford get Duke broke his back for Detroit. It, it, it's time he, he get, he get a Super Bowl so he can ride off into the sunset knowing he did that. I think there are many, many more years still to come for the Cincinnati Bengals. But I do think it's going to be a high-scoring affair. Um, I'm going 34-31 for the Rams. You got to remember, you say that, that you think there's a lot of, uh, you know, the Bengals can can get back again. But Drew Brees been, went to, what, two Super Bowls, one Super Bowl? Mm-hmm. Um Russell Wilson went to two Super Bowls. Aaron Rodgers hasn't been to a Super Bowl in, what, 10 years? So Things can change. Things definitely Very change. quickly. Um, but, see, I, I would like the Rams to win, but I hate Sean McVay. He has one of those hate-the-face faces. And I don't, I don't know why I hate him so much. Maybe it has something to do with him being the golden child coach and getting mm-hmm. coach of the year over Doug Peterson back in 2017 when, and Doug Peterson got one freaking vote uh, for coach, for coach of the year. Yeah, the, I don't know what it is, but I love Jalen Ramsey. Obviously I love him to win. It has nothing to really do with Matt Stafford. Um, I, for, for fans sake, I wish it was Cincinnati because they actually have true fans like us. Mm-hmm. You know, when, when the Rams suffered. had their, when the Rams had their pep rally this week, there was like 30 people there. Like, Come on now. When when the Bengals had their pep rally, they almost sold out their stadium. Um, so, yeah, like you could tell who the real fans are. Um, but I think the Rams are probably going to win. Um, and then, again, like you mentioned, that's going to give credence to the whole do what you have to do buy, buy a cha- to buy a championship. Um, you go out and, and get the quarterback, giving up all the picks. They, they don't have a first-round pick to win, 2025. 2026 actually it might be later yeah. than that i well, i thought it was 2024 because you can't uh, trade too many okay, years so out like, but i mean is, still yeah like they, and this year they don't have a pick till the third or fourth round um maybe even the fifth round so it could give credence to that which you know how we might see that and be like all right i'm just gonna go get the quarterback i want regardless of what it takes but we'll see but i'm gonna take the rams winning in a high scoring game um as well absolutely love it and before i let you do close us all out of course do not forget to check out our partners over at the fight philly fight network uh you can check us out and all the content there the written content plus their podcast at fpf network on twitter and fight philly fight network.com on the web giving you all the eagles content you need and don't forget to visit our sponsors over at bet us america's favorite sports book for over 25 years Tell them the Kelly Green Hour sent you when you go over to betus.com and eat by using the promo code FPF Network at sign up to get a 125% sign up bonus. Yep, and as always, follow us on Twitter at Kelly Green Hour. Follow Connor on Twitter at Connor10. And follow me on Twitter at LJHarrell54. It is Super Bowl weekend, everybody. Enjoy the game. Enjoy the, enjoy the halftime show because I think this has a chance to be one of the best halftime shows of all time. Oh, yeah. Hope. I can't wait for that. Um, Enjoy the foods. Enjoy the game. Enjoy the commercials. Enjoy it all. Thank you for listening to the Kelly Green Hour.